Morning. It's good to see you. We're going to be um, continuing this morning our series in Philippians. Um, but first, would you like to play a game? No. It's not physical. You haven't got to, <laughs> you haven't got to run around in this heat. Um, so every year in my life group, the life group that me and Sean um, run, we, we go away for a break. And um, each year we play a quiz. It's called the Perfectly Pointless Family Phrase Challenge. Um, and each round of the quiz is modelled after a particular game show. So we have a university challenge round, we have a pointless round, we have a uh, family fortunes round. And my favourite round comes at the very end of the quiz, um, and it's the catchphrase round. Have you seen catchphrase? Are you familiar with this show? Um, Essentially, you get a picture of a catchphrase or a famous saying, and you need to guess what the catchphrase is. So the, the tagline is, say what you see. Say what you see. So I'm going to give you one to warm up. Um, this isn't a catchphrase, but it is related to this morning. That's the, that's the only clue I'm going to give you. Okay? And you can just shout out the answer. Yes! Well done. <laughs> Philip Ians. <laughs> Philip Ians. Okay? <laughs> right, okay, so these are, I'm going to give you six uh, of my favourite from the past. So if you're in my life group, you're not allowed to play. Sorry, because you'll have, you'll, have, you'll, have, <laughs> you'll have seen them before. But anybody else, you can, you can shout out. So this is the first one. So there's, there's people from different nations. Yeah, and, and the, the, the one from England is pointing to... An Englishman's home is his castle. One point. Well done. Come on. Pen is mightier than the sword. Very good. That's an easier one. Yeah, it, in the limelight. <laughs> Where the rubber hits the road, you're into it now. You're doing it. You're doing it. Well done. No spring chicken, yes! <laughs> no one's ever guessed that one. <laughs> well done. Barking up the wrong tree. Very good, very good. Okay, we'll leave it there. <laughs> I'm just getting into it. I can bring some more next time, I promise. <laughs> So the catchphrase for the, for the show is to say what you see. That's the idea, say what you see. And the reason I wanted to start with that quiz this morning is because when it came to the gospel, Paul didn't just want the Philippians to say what they saw. He also wanted them to be what they said they were. And so this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you've got your Bibles or phones or tablets or scrolls, um, please find <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. Um, this is week five of our series so far um, in this book or letter, and we've been slowly picking our way through chapter one, um, allowing ourselves to think deeply about Paul's words and challenging ourselves in the process. We've been asking, does our lives reflect Paul's life? And in particular, um, the past few weeks, how Paul has coped and how he has managed in tough times. Paul is someone who suffered greatly for the gospel. He was flogged, 
beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, starved, lied about, chased out of towns and cities. And now as he's writing this letter, he's under house arrest awaiting trial. And yet despite all of this, Paul was someone whose life was characterised by joy and hope. He was excited about his future. Last week we read those challenging words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I make it out of this alive, I get to keep telling people about Jesus, but if I die, I get to be with him, which is better by far, he says. You see, Paul never saw himself as caught between a rock and a heart place. For him, it was only ever an awesome opportunity and a glorious future. Because his perspective was not on the present, but on eternity. He writes in his letter to the Corinthians, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So whether he lived or whether he died, he was happy. He knew what he was about here on earth telling people about Jesus, and he knew where he was going. And so that's just a little quick recap from last week. You can listen back online if you need to catch up, if you've missed any. If you haven't missed any, well done. I will stamp your loyalty card at the end. (laughs) We're going to pick up this morning at verse 27 of chapter 1. Verse 27. So now Paul is going to turn his attention from himself onto the Philippians, onto those that he's writing the letter to. And this is what he says in verse 27 of chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We're going to spend quite a bit of time this morning on um, that particular phrase. But just in case you don't make it to the end, essentially what Paul is saying is this. You need to live what you believe. That's our challenge for today. Do we live what we believe? When people look at us, at our lives, what do they see in us? Do they go, yes, I get it. It makes sense. Or do they go, well, I'm not really sure. They, they could be right about this or they could be something else because they don't really, it's not clear. A bit like that game of catchphrase we've just played. So do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? How do we go about doing this? What do we do? Is it to do with um, looking the part? What does a Christian look like? You might have your own idea. If you were writing a spotter's guide, I wonder what sort of things you might include. Beige jumper, perhaps? Socks and sandals? Bible? Under one arm? You know, a real Ned Flanders type? Perhaps a floral blouse for the ladies and a hat? Well, that's a little bit kind of a 90s Christian there, isn't it? What about these more millennial Christians? You know, the check shirt and skinny jeans and, you know, beards, a bit like Simon. Um, (laughs) <laughs> a friend of mine uh, who's from Riverside Elim in Bewdley told me that he was recognised at an interdenominational um, event as being part of the Elim movement because he wore brown shoes and skinny jeans. So maybe Elim has its own look as well. I could never uh, fit into skinny jeans. 
Maybe it's not how we look, maybe it's to do with what we say, the sort of things that we say to each other. Do we say, God bless you and keep you when we finish our conversation? I sometimes worry that as, as Christians we've developed our own secret language, our own way of speaking. And I came across this video um, online this week, it's just a couple of minutes that I want to share with you that illustrates this point. If we could play that, thanks Martin. Hmm. Maybe it's nothing to do with what we say, maybe it's what we do. Maybe it's our generosity and our kindness, our care of the world and the people in it. Although people often assume being a Christian is more about what we don't do, right? After all, the Ten Commandments are filled with thou shall not, thou shall not murder, thou shall not covet, lie, steal, commit adultery, and so on. You can recognise a Christian because they're the one at the party in the corner shaking their head and tutting a lot. Sometimes I worry that Christians are known more today for what we're against than what we're for. But the word Paul actually uses here in this scripture is the word conduct. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And conduct is to do with our behaviour, right? It's to do with our day-to-day living, the kind of people that we are. And here in this verse, the word conduct is a translation. Paul originally wrote this letter in Greek. He never spoke English. Um, And the word he uses originally is the Greek word polytuomai. Polytuomai. And the literal translation of that word is to be a citizen, to behave as a citizen behaves. It's a word that Paul uses very, very rarely. In fact, there's only one other place Um, that we find it, and that's Luke quoting Paul as saying it in Acts. Paul doesn't use it in his other letters, but I think he uses it here very deliberately with the Philippians, because they would have had a unique understanding of what it means to be a citizen. You might remember I told you um, at the beginning of the series that Philippi was a Roman colony. It meant that although the city was in uh, Greece, in Macedonia, it was under the authority and control of Rome. And this was a good thing. It meant that the people who lived there were able to claim all of the rights and privileges of someone who lived in Rome itself. And Rome was, of course, the heart of the Roman Empire, which was quite a big deal at the time. So the people who lived there, who were largely retired soldiers from Rome, they lived and acted as Romans did. They dressed like Romans. They wore those lovely sash things you see at fancy dress parties. They ate like Romans. Pizza, I assume. Um, They spoke Latin. They lived by Roman law. In fact, the colony itself was governed by military officers that were appointed directly from Rome. And so when Paul says, live as a citizen, the Philippians' first thought would have been, live as a citizen of Rome. Although we're here in Greece, in our heart of hearts, we are citizens of Rome. But of course, Paul isn't talking about their earthly citizenship. He's talking about their heavenly one. In fact, later on in this letter, he makes it more explicit. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And so Paul is saying to the Philippians, you might be Roman citizens, but first and foremost, you are citizens of heaven. This is where your allegiance should be. He writes in another of his letters, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
Because of the cross, because of Jesus, you have guaranteed citizenship in heaven. You don't need to apply for indefinite leave to remain. You're in. That can't be taken away from you. You are God's people, members of his very household. And that's an amazing truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, God counts you as a part of his family. Do you know that this morning? The Apostle John records Jesus as saying, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And later on, John writes in one of his letters, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We belong to him forever. And so this instruction of Paul's to conduct ourselves in the right way, it begins with our identity. It begins with who we are. Are we citizens of earth or are we citizens of heaven? Are we slaves to sin or are we children of God? Because our actions and our conduct flow from who we are. Steve spoke about this earlier in the service. He said that once we start to understand the love of God in our lives, it changes everything. It changes our outlook on the world. And if you're not sure this morning who you are, then let me just tell you this. You are someone that God loved enough to send his son to die for you. I mean, maybe you don't know that today. Maybe you do. Maybe you knew that some time ago, but you've forgotten. But either way, it's true. You are loved. And you've been given a permanent place in God's family. And once we know that in our heart of hearts, it should begin to shape our outlook on the world. And so Paul says, live, live as who you are. Live as citizens of heaven in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I wonder what he means by this word, worthy. Is he saying that we need to make ourselves worthy? Because if you're worthy, it means that you're good enough, right? Well, unlike Polly, too am I, Paul uses this word in a number of his letters. So I'm going to go a little bit wider for a minute. So in Thessalonians, he writes, For you know that we dealt with each of you as the Father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. In Ephesians, he writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To the Colossians, he writes, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing uh, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And of course, in Philippians here, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy of God, worthy of the Lord, worthy of your calling, worthy of the gospel. That's a lot of worthy. What we see is that in each case, the instruction to live lives that are worthy is never given as the starting point. It's a desire that comes as a result of God's work in our lives. So for um, many religions or faiths, it's about living in such a way to avoid the wrath of God or perhaps somehow curry favour with him or guarantee salvation. If I pray enough, if I give enough, if I recite this scripture or make this pilgrimage, I'll become worthy of God's favour. This is not the way that Paul saw or used this word. 
we look again at what he writes here. In Thessalonians, he urges them to live lives worthy of God because they are called into his kingdom and glory. The offer is already on the table. God wants you to be a part of his kingdom without you having done anything to merit that. The only question is our response. In Ephesians, it's in the past tense. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's already yours. It's done. It's a done deal. You've been called. I'll tell you what this um, reminded me of when I was looking at it this week. You know when you're in PE and they appoint two captains to, and then they pick people to be on your team? Um, I think it's something they do just to be cruel to the slow kids, of which I was um, one. Um, but there's that awkward moment, isn't there, where you're standing in a big group and you're trying to catch the eye of the captain and say, go on, pick me, pick me, I don't want to be last again. Um, But Paul is saying you've been called. Go and stand with your captain. Go and play for that team. You don't need to do anything to try and win favour or make yourself look good. You just need to respond. In Colossians, it's even more explicit. It says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of of the Lord and please him in every way. God gives you knowledge of his will, understanding through his spirit to help us live this life. It's like arriving for an exam and being handed the answers as we walk through the door. God wants us to succeed. He wants us to do well. And in Philippians, it's the same. Live as a citizen because that's what you are. It is your identity. You have been chosen by your captain. He wants you to do well. He's going to help you to do well. And so really, what Paul is saying is that your worth, your value has been defined by God. Now you just need to go and learn to live as though that's true. We need to train ourselves to see us in the same way that God sees us. Later in this letter, he says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. I was um, at youth this week on Wednesday Um, and Amy, our new youth worker, was doing an activity with uh, the young people. And what she was doing was getting them to write um, on masks words that described themselves, um, positive things about themselves. And many of them struggled to find nice things to say about themselves. A few of them wrote some things down and then immediately crossed them out. And we wanted to encourage them, so we, we read them some scriptures and we told them that God had created them to be who they were and that he loved them and that he had a plan and a purpose for their lives. And some of their their response to that was, I think he made a mistake when he made me. I think he made a mistake when he made me. It's upsetting, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. But I don't think that's something that's limited to teenagers. I think we're all often too quick to be down on ourselves. To say, you know what, I'm not worth anything. Why would God be interested in me? Why would he want to use me for any of his plans or purposes? I have nothing to give, nothing of value. I think too often we think that way. But God is interested in you. He wants you to live a life filled with purpose and meaning. He wants you to be with him forever in eternity. And he is excited for us to begin that journey 
to begin living as though we are already there in heaven, to live as citizens, to live as though we are worthy because he has made us that way. And he's done that for each and every one of us today. So he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul actually mentions the gospel quite a bit um, in this chapter. He first mentions it in verse 5 where he speaks of their partnership in the gospel. That's him and the Philippians. He says, we're partners in this gospel together. And then again in verse 7 when he talks about how he's in chains because of his defence of the gospel. And then in verses 12 and 14, he tells them that while he's been in change, the gospel has continued to advance because of his own witness and because of the increased boldness of others. And now he tells them that they must live the gospel. How do we do that? Well, as we said last week, the gospel is essentially good news. The word itself means good news. It's about Jesus. It's about who he was and it's about what he did for us. It's a message of salvation that needs to be taken to the world. Jesus instructs his followers, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. No small task. Tell people. Tell people this good news. But for Paul, the gospel wasn't just a message, it was a way of life. Jesus was his life. And the gospel was Jesus. Those two words, gospel and Jesus, they're interchangeable for Paul. The good news was Jesus and Jesus was the good news. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is the gospel. And so when Paul tells them live in a manner worthy of the gospel, what he wants them to see is that the message is not just what they say, but it's what they do with their lives. Paul wants them to see that they are the gospel that they are on display for all of the world to see. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes this, and I'm, I'm using uh, the message paraphrase here because I think it's really good. He says, Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, um, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiselled into stone, but carved into human lives. And we publish it. I love that. We publish it. God has placed his calling on our lives. We know that. We read it earlier on. The Holy Spirit has written God's law on our hearts. He helps us live lives worthy of the calling that he has given us. But we are the ones that deliver the message. And we do that by the way that we lead our lives, the decisions we make, the attitudes we display, the things that we say, the way we spend our time and our energy and how we show our love for one another. And this is, I think, where the challenge comes to us this morning because the truth is the only Bible that some people will ever read is me and you. People who don't know Jesus aren't going to read the Bible. It's long and confusing and written by a God they're not entirely convinced exists. But they will read your life. Your actions, what you stand for or against, who you are online, who you are on a Friday night, who you are on a Monday morning. Your lives are a letter that anyone can read just by looking at you. 
What does that letter say? Robert McShane, who was the minister of the Church of Scotland in the 1800s, once said, the Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. I like that. Nobody could ever look at Paul's life and say, you know what, I'm not entirely convinced he believes the things that he's saying. Because he lived it. His whole life was driven by the gospel. His message, his hope for the world, his desire to save people from their sins. He lived it. What about us? Do our lives make it easy for people to come to know Jesus? Of course, this isn't just a challenge for us as individuals, but a challenge for our church community as well. Paul goes on to say, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul wanted the gospel to be the very heart of their community, for it to be the glue, the thing that united them. He wanted them to work together in order to achieve this purpose. Our mission statement um, here at Tamworth Enum is to reach Tamworth with the life-transforming love of Christ. And that speaks to our heart. Everything we do, whether it be youth groups or kids' clubs or coffee shop or prime time or food bank, it's simply a way of getting alongside people so that we can introduce them to Jesus. But the most effective tool that we have is the way that we choose to live our lives. That's the most effective tool that we have, both individually and together. If we want people to believe the gospel, we need to learn to be the gospel ourselves. So that when people look at us, they say, I get it. They've been changed by Jesus. They're not like everyone else. They don't join in with the gossip. They're always putting others first. It's like they never think about themselves. They, they work harder than anybody else here. And you know what? They never complain. They seem to really care about justice. They seem to really care about the poor, the downtrodden, those that nobody else is interested in. You know, they seem to love everybody that works here, even Doris. They're so patient. They're so kind. They're so forgiving. They're so gracious. I can see the difference that Jesus makes to a life. It's transformational. Is this the sort of things that are said about us? What do people say when they see us? Are we recognisable as citizens of heaven? Or are we perhaps as confusing as some of those catchphrases I put up at the start? I wonder if the, the band would come and join me. I want to pray in a minute or two. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't start with us. It starts with God. He loves you passionately. He died for you. He wants to spend eternity with you and so he wants us to be about the things of eternity now. He wants us to live our lives in such a way that matters for all eternity. That's what this is about. This isn't about us earning God's favour or getting on his good side. This is about us responding to the fact that we have been chosen by him, that we have been given a calling and a purpose for our lives. God wants you to be 
on his team. You've already been picked. We need to try and live up to what we've already obtained. So let's just pray, and then these guys are going to um, lead us in worship. Heavenly Father, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our own lives, we might not see very much. We might be quite down on our abilities, our worth. But Father, when you look at us, you see someone who was worth dying for. You see someone who was worth rescuing. Father, you see someone who you want to be a citizen of heaven. You call us sons and daughters. Father, I pray that we would know that truth in our lives this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us a right view of ourselves. Father, that we would leave this place today assured that we belong to you and that we are citizens of heaven. And Father, for our part, I pray that you would help us to begin to live lives that are worthy of the calling that you have placed upon us. Father, I pray that you would help us to be about the things of eternity. Father, I pray that we would be the gospel to this broken and hurting world. Father, I pray that people looking at us would see the transformational life that comes about through knowing Jesus. And Father, this wouldn't just be a one day of the week thing for us, but God, this would be our lives. Father, that we would take that example that Paul has laid before us and we would live in such a way that people are not confused and not put off from you, but recognize the power of you in our lives. God, that's our prayer this morning. Help us to live lives worthy of the calling that you have given us, worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.